Well, uh, today we have the great privilege of having all of our elementary age students in here for the sermon uh, with us. Uh, we normally only do that on uh, the fifth Sunday of, of a month, uh, but given the story we're going to look at today, uh, we thought it would be a great opportunity for them to join us here in uh, Big Church for the sermon. So kids, let me uh, give a special greeting to you. I'm really excited that you get to be with us today um, and to have the opportunity to open up God's Word along with you. You see, uh, today uh, we're going to look at a story in which a young boy uh, by the name of Samuel has a life-changing encounter with God. And my hope is that through this story, you're going to have a life-changing encounter with him too. In fact, I hope all of us, whether we're a kid or an adult, are going to have a life-changing encounter with God. And that's what we're here for, right? We want to have a life-changing encounter with God. And so I want to begin by giving you an overview of what we're going to talk about today. It's pretty simple. We're going to talk about how God calls Samuel and then how God sends Samuel. How God calls Samuel and sends Samuel. We're going to see how in an early age, before he's even a teenager, God calls Samuel to himself and then sends Samuel on a mission for himself. And in this, we're going to learn that God does the same two things for us. That he calls and he sends us to. With that said, please join me in turning to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, grab one in uh, the chair in front of you. Uh, you can find Sam, 1 Samuel 3 on page 176. Uh, with you kids with us, I feel like our chair Bibles might get a little bit more use uh, this morning since you're the only ones who really have the eyesight uh, that's needed in order to read the font in those Bibles. You older adults with me? You know, like I, I need a microscope uh, these days to read that print. Anyway, let's uh, pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. God's word says this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not read the chair by, I mean, sorry, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had yet, not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Uh, these verses are what we might call the opening crawl of the story. Uh, they're like the uh, first part of every Star Wars movie where you've got scrolling text that gives us a quick explanation of the events that lead up to the start of the story. And in this crawl, we learn two important things. First, Samuel's still a boy. Jewish tradition says that he's 12 years old. And he's now officially serving as Eli's assistant. He's kind of like a priest in training. And one of his jobs uh, is to sleep in the temple, in, in the main sanctuary, so that he's close at hand for anything that needs to be taken care of uh, during the night. Second, and most importantly, we learn that God's speaking infrequently to his people. Note that verse 1 tells us that the, Lord, the word of the Lord is rare. The word of the Lord is rare. Now, when we uh, read these verses... The first thing that we should feel is concern, grave concern. Why? Well, it tells us that the Israelites are in trouble, big trouble. You see, Proverbs 29, uh, 18 states that where there is no vision, meaning no word from the Lord, the people perish. They, they run into all kinds of wickedness. And whenever people run into all kinds of wickedness, they are in big, big trouble by definition. Now, the text doesn't tell us why God's speaking infrequently, but it's safe to assume it's A, because of the corrupt leadership of Eli and his sons, and B, 
because the people had stopped listening when God was speaking. Remember, this is during the time of the judges, a time when every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. And friends, this should serve as a serious warning to us today, both to church leaders and to the church at large. When we stop preaching God's word and we stop listening to God's word, he might just stop giving us his word. He might give us what the prophet Amos calls a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And when this happens, friends, we'll find ourselves in big trouble just like the Israelites. In fact, the reality is, if we're honest, we are in big trouble, right? We're in real, real big trouble. And you know why? We're in real big trouble because preachers have stopped preaching and people have stopped listening. And we're going to get out of this trouble. We've got to stop, start preaching and we've got to start listening. I have more to say about that at the end and there's a whole message there. So I'll just keep going though, okay? Back to the story. Because the word of the Lord is rare, it's a very dark time in Israel. However, that's about to change in a big way. In his grace, God's about to break his silence. And let's look at how he does so. Pick up in verse 4. And the Lord called, I'm sorry, then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now, you know, old Eli's got his issues, but at least he's patient. Or at least he's a lot more patient than I am when my kids wake me up in the middle of the night for no good reason. Now, I, I might respond the way that Eli does the first time. But on that second visit in the middle of the night, there's going to be lots of threats coming their way as to what consequences they're going to receive should they dare to wake me up again? Yeah, amen. Now, I think some of you right now are judging me. But here's the honest truth. You do the exact same thing. You know when your kid wakes you up and they want that drink of water and then they want to discuss the meaning of life at 3 in the morning? You're not very patient. Not Eli, though. He just gently tells Samuel to go lie down again. The big question, though, here, of course is why doesn't Samuel recognize that it's the Lord who's calling him? Why does he think that it's Eli? Well, verse 7 gives us the answer, and it's a key verse in the story. Note what it says. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now kids, I really want you to listen carefully to me here, because there's something really important that we learn. And here's what we learn. We learn that it's all too possible to know about God, but to not actually know God. Let me say that again. It's possible to, to know about God, but to not actually know God, to not have a relationship with him. So, so let me give you an illustration here, one I'm giving with his consent, all right? My son Zane's favorite actor is Tom Holland. Tom Holland is in some of Zane's favorite movies like Onward and Spies in Disguise. And, of course, he's the new Spider-Man. Tom Holland's the new Spider-Man, right? Now, there's something actually I was hoping that you guys could help us out with today because there's kind of a big disagreement in the car household as to who the best Spider-Man is. So, so for, um, for Zane, of course, it's Tom Holland. But his brother Ty says, no, it's Tobey Maguire. And Eva says, it's Andrew Garfield. 
Actually, nobody says it's Andrew Garfield. Okay, we'll leave that out. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is all this Spider-Man stuff about? <laughs> Stick with it. The kids are with me, I know. All right? But, but here's the thing. We won't take a poll or anything this morning. But, but here's, here's the point. All right, well, Zane knows a lot about Tom Holland since he's his favorite actor. And Zane can tell you a lot of facts about Tom Holland. He can tell you who his girlfriend is. He can tell you how old he is. He can tell you about his family. He can tell you about all the movies that he's in. But you know what? Zane doesn't actually know Tom Holland. He knows about him, but he doesn't know him. He doesn't have a personal relationship with him. And that's the way that it can be with us and God. We can know about God without actually knowing him, without actually having a personal relationship with him. And what Samuel shows us is that it's even possible uh, to, to go to church, to know all the Bible stories, to be a good, obedient kid, to even serve the Lord, and to yet not know the Lord. So a big question for us today, of course, is do I really know the Lord? Not just know about him, but do I know him? Do I have a personal relationship with him? And so how does someone come to know the Lord? How does someone come to have a personal relationship with him? Well, we find out beginning in verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Eli is spiritually dull, but he's not spiritually dead. And so he finally realizes that Samuel's truly hearing someone speak, and that someone is none other than the Lord himself. It's God. So Eli tells uh, Samuel that God's calling him. And that if he calls again, Samuel should respond in faith. We can't miss what Eli is telling Samuel here. He's telling him, hey, Samuel, the God of the universe is calling you into a relationship with himself. And for you to have that relationship, all you have to do is respond in faith. So you need to go lay down again. And when he calls the fourth time, Simply respond, hey, Lord, I hear you calling, and I want that relationship. I hear you calling me, and I want you, and I want you to want me. I want you to have me. And so that's what Samuel does. He goes and he lays down for a third time. And I'd like us just for a second here to kind of put ourselves, if we can, in Samuel's shoes, or I probably should say sandals for a moment, all right? So now God has just called him three times, and he's missed it each time. He's ghost to God each time that he's called. And so as he goes and he lays down now here for for the fourth time, Samuel's mind, it's got to be be racing. He's got to be thinking, is it kind of like three strikes and you're out, or am I going to get another chance? Is God actually going to call again? Is God going to call again? Well, let's see. Look at verse 10. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Like a parent whose child is in another room and isn't listening, God ups the ante. He actually goes physically, steps physically into the room with Samuel and calls his name not once but twice. 
I'm guessing, by the way, that Samuel doesn't have a middle and last name because if he did, God would use it, right? But like a mom who really wants to get their child's attention, what does the mom say? The whole name, right? I remember when my mom wanted to get my attention when I was young, she would say, Galen Christopher Carr. And when she said that, I would know I better pay attention because she really, really had something that she wanted to get across to me. In fact, she still does that from time to time these days. But that's kind of what's going on here. And one of the things we need to note is that this is the way that God often calls some of the greatest heroes of our faith. How did he call Moses at the burning bush? Moses, Moses. How did he call Jacob? Jacob, Jacob. When Saul, who became Paul, was on the road to Damascus and and Jesus appeared to him, how did he call him? Saul, Saul. And just like all of those men, Samuel responds. He responds in faith. He responds positively. He recognizes that God's calling him into a relationship and he enters that relationship through faith. Now, let's talk about what this means for us. And I want you to listen closely to me here. God's still calling people into a relationship with him. Isn't that wonderful? God today, 3,000 years after Samuel, is still calling people into a relationship with him. In fact, God is calling all people into a relationship with him. He does it a little bit differently, though, today. Today, God calls us into a relationship with him through his son, Jesus, through the gospel. Here's what the author of Hebrews tells us. The very first verses of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Samuel was one of those prophets. But now, today, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Here's how we can know that God's calling us into a relationship. We can know because he sent his son to this earth. He sent Jesus to become a human, to live the perfect life that we don't live, to die the death that we deserve, paying the penalty for our sin on the cross, to rise again from the dead three days later so that through faith in him, our sins can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with him. Listen, today, boy, girl, man, woman, old, young, womb to tomb, okay, you can know with confidence that God is calling you into a relationship with himself. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world, the world includes you, that he gave his only son. And that means that he, he sent Jesus to die in your place and to rise again. So that whoever, that includes you, believes in him, that's Jesus, will not perish but will have eternal life. Now, to have eternal life, what does that mean? To have eternal life means to have an eternal relationship with God that goes on forever and ever and ever, never to be taken away from you. And so what you need to know today is is no, God may not audibly call your name out, but it's just like he is doing so today because here In his word, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is calling you into a relationship with himself. And all you have to do in order to have that relationship is simply believe in Jesus. So he might be saying, Mark, 
Mark, or Mary, Mary, or Liam, Liam, or Emma, Emma, or Lily, Lily, whatever your name is, God is calling you today. That call goes out to everyone. And all we have to do is make the life-defining and eternity-defining choice of whether we are going to respond and believe that Jesus has come to this earth, that he has died in our place, that he has risen again on the third day, and that through faith in these truths, we enter a relationship with God. So, so here's what I want to offer you today. Actually, God offer you. I'm just kind of speaking for him right here. I want to offer that to you today, right here and right now. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, now, now remember, it's really possible to know about Jesus without actually knowing Jesus. And you only come to know Jesus by actually placing your faith and your trust in him. And so if you have never done that today, I want to offer you the opportunity to do it right now. We're not going to wait till the end of the sermon. We're going to do it right now. There is more to come, okay? It's just a heads up. All right? I want to give you the opportunity to do so right now. So I'm going to pray here in just a second. And as I pray, I want to invite you to pray. That's whether you're here in the room with me, or whether you're at Fort Madison, whether you're at Burlington watching online sometime later this week, just listening to this on a podcast. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is simply place your faith in Jesus. You just simply pray a prayer like this and say, God, I hear you calling me into relationship with you today. I place my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. I want a relationship with you, and so I'm placing my faith in Jesus. Amen. You don't have to get the words perfect because there are no perfect words. It's simply about believing. Believe in Jesus today and be saved. And so I'm going to pray now, and if you have never received Jesus, why don't you just pray to receive him right this moment. And by the way, if you have received Jesus, why don't you pray for those who haven't as I pray as well. Father, uh, we come to you. And I just pray in this moment that we will experience your power in a way that we never have before. I pray that right now all across southeast Iowa and and really um, all across our country and across the world as as, uh, people here uh, today and in the days ahead, that your Holy Spirit will come, open people's eyes, help them to, to see the truth about Jesus, help them to desire that relationship with you, help them to know that there's nothing that they Uh, need to do rather than simply receive the gift that you have given them in Jesus Christ. So call people to yourself. Lord, do it for five-year-olds and 15-year-olds and 25-year-olds and 95-year-olds today. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now, some of you are looking at your watch and you're going, "Um, that really seemed like the end of the sermon. But it's only been like 20 minutes, and we know this guy too well. It cannot possibly be the end of the sermon. You know what? You know me too well. You're right. It's not the end of the sermon because there's a second, and there's a great rest of the part to to this. But before I get to that, I just want to say, if you pray to receive Jesus today, before you leave, will, will you share that with someone? We share whether it's a family member, it's a friend, it's a pastor, because we would love to celebrate with you. And more importantly, we'd love to come alongside you to help you to grow as a follower of Jesus. With that said, though, all right, let's look at the second part of the story. I promise it will be shorter than the first, but it's a critical part. And so what we're going to learn here in this second part, though, is that once God calls us in, he always 
And I want to emphasize always goes on to send us out. So if you have been called in and you've come in, what you need to see in the second part of the story is now God has sent you out. Take a look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will uh, tingle. If you'll let me use another Spider-Man reference, all right, uh, what God's telling um, Samuel here or what, uh, is that, hey, I'm going to have everybody's spidey sense going off in Israel, okay? Big warning coming. Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay down until morning. It says he will lay down because I'm pretty sure he didn't go back to sleep the rest of the night, right? Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he has told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So, once God calls Samuel to him, he then sends Samuel out for him. Once Samuel knows the Lord, the Lord begins to speak through Samuel. And there are two things I want us to grab hold of here. The first is the importance of the proclamation of God's word. This is easy to miss, but there's a huge transition that takes place in Israel from the beginning of chapter 3 to the end of chapter 3. At the beginning of chapter 3, it's a very, very dark time. God is speaking rarely, infrequently. But by the end of chapter 3, God is speaking through Samuel on a regular basis. And I love what verse 19 tells us. It says, The Lord was with Samuel and let none of his words fall to the ground. That means that every word that Samuel speaks for the Lord comes true. And therefore, the Israelites recognize that Samuel is a prophet, that he is speaking for the Lord. More significantly, as we're going to see in the weeks ahead... This leads to a spiritual renewal in Israel. So when chapter 3 opens, the situation is grim. The people are in great darkness. It's a complete and utter mess. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. By the time we get to the end of chapter 3, renewal is occurring. Transformation is on the way. And church, if we want to see the same things, if we want to see a renewal, If we want to see change, if we want to see transformation, it comes down to this. It comes down to the proclamation of God's word. Where the light of the Bible shines forth, there will be renewal. There will be change. There will be transformation on the way. I love this quote from Tim Chester. He says, Israel was in desperate crisis. There was no rule and the house of God was horribly compromised. 
what did God do? What did God do? He sent his word. He raised up a prophet. This is always how God acts to change the status quo. He sends his word. And in the crisis of our culture, we need God's word. Our hope will not come through legislation to defend Christianity. It will not come through gimmicky methods or trendy services. We will never compete with Hollywood for entertainment. Our hope is in the power of God's word. Anybody want to say amen to that? And kids, I really want you to hear this today. I want you to know that there, there is no hope in our government. There is no hope in our education system. There is no hope in us trying to be like Hollywood and simply entertain you. The only hope that there is is in the preaching and the proclamation and the hearing and the listening and the obeying of God's word. That, that and that alone will bring renewal. That and that alone will bring change. That and that alone will bring transformation. What is the hope of the world? The hope of the world is the preaching of the gospel through God's word. And we never, we must never, ever move from that. Here's the second thing we need to grab hold of. And I know I'm running the risk of being overly repetitive here, but again, once God calls us to him, he always sends us out for him. Now, God doesn't send any of us in the exact same way that he sent Samuel. Samuel was a big P prophet, and none of us get that designation today. So, so if anybody today claims to be a big P prophet, you need to say, you're lying. You're not a big P prophet. We have no more big P prophets uh, today, right? Done and gone. And we don't need the big P P prophets because we have God's word. But with that said, we've all been sent to speak God's word to others. How can I say that? Well, it's because of what we talk about all the time here at Harmony Bible Church, the Great Commission. For example, in John 20, 21, Jesus tells us that just as the Father has sent him So now has he too sent us. As people who've been called into relationship with Jesus, so too are we people who've been sent by Jesus. We've been sent to call people into the relationship that they can have with the God of the universe. Now, I know that whether you're a kid or an adult, uh, the thought of sharing God's word can be daunting. Maybe even panic-inducing. And if it does, I want to give you some comfort today because that's the way it was for Samuel initially. Did did you see that in the text? When God says, hey, you need to go tell Eli this, what does Samuel do? He says, I'm not so sure about that. Samuel was afraid. His knees were knocking. And yet, and yet, as Samuel shared that, as he proclaimed God's word, what did he find out? He found that God was with him. And what you need to know, brothers and sisters, today is that you need to know that just like God was with Samuel, so too will he be with you. You see, God never sends us out without going with us. Did you hear that? You have been sent by Jesus, and Jesus never sends anybody without going with them. How do we know this? Two ways. There's two ways that I personally know this. First is the Great Commission again. In Matthew 28, Jesus, after he gives us the Great Commission, he says, And lo, or behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. If I can use one more, get away with one more movie reference here. 
Okay? It's just like Steve Rogers said to Bucky Barnes, I'm with you to the end of the line. When Jesus sends us out, he promised that he's always going to be with us. He tells us he's never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us. So, so listen, when you leave these doors this morning, you are going out as people who have been sent by Jesus Christ. And as people who have been sent by Jesus Christ, he says, I am with you and I've got all power, all authority in heaven and earth. So go, knowing that I am with you. And if I can just tell you, you, you will never experience the presence of Jesus in a greater way than when you go out and do what he has called you to do. And let me just say this. That doesn't mean that you're being called to be a pastor or being called to be a cross-cultural missionary. It's likely that many of you are, are, are not. In fact, almost all of you are not being called to be, to be pastors. But that doesn't mean that you aren't called to take God's word and share it with those who need to hear. This is a responsibility for every single one of us. We all need to own this knowing that as we own it, we're going to experience Jesus' power and presence. Here's the second way that I know that this is true. I know that it's true because I have experienced this time and time and time again. So I want to remind you, some of you have heard this uh, many times. Some of you have not heard this uh, at all because you're relatively new. So those of you who have heard it a number of times, you just nod like you, you, you're hearing it for the very first time, all right? But I've said on a number of occasions that being a pastor was not my first career choice. It wasn't even my second career choice. In fact, it really wasn't a choice at all. Growing up, there were two things that I said that I would never do, and one of them was to be a pastor, all right? On top of that, I am naturally introverted. I don't like crowds. No offense, okay? And I get, or at least used to get, extremely nervous when I would get up to speak in, in front of people. Now I just get moderately uh, nervous. People ask me on a regular basis, do you get nervous when, when you preach? And I say, every single time. In fact, many Sundays I have a struggle as I'm sitting in the service and I know I'm about ready to get up and preach and whether I'm going to walk out the door or I'm going to walk on stage. <laughs> I've not yet walked out of the door, but I can't promise that that's not going to happen at some point. All right? And yet, here's what it comes down to for me. I actually am not a pastor by choice. I'm a pastor by compulsion. But it's not a bad compulsion. You see, I feel what Paul feels when he says that, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what God has called me to do. And as I have done it and just try to faithfully do it week in and week out, you know what I find over and over again? I find that Jesus is with me and Jesus works through me. Over and over again, I have seen people saved. I have seen people changed. I have seen lives transformed. Now, I'm not telling you this today so that you can look and you can say, oh, isn't it great what Chris Carr has done? Because it's not what Chris Carr has done, it's what God has done through me. And my point is, is that if he can do it through me, he can do it through you. And I really, truly mean it. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit that I have. You have the same word of God that I have. And that's all you need. That's all you need. Because if you will obediently follow Jesus where he has sent you, in your workplace, in your family, with your friends, in your school, and you will share God's word, prayerfully share God's word, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that God's word does its work and brings renewal and brings transformation. Everywhere the word of God is preached and faithfully proclaimed, 
God does his work. His word will not return to him void. I love this quote from Richard Phillips where he says this. He says, few of us will be granted so far-reaching a ministry as Samuel. But if we will bring God's word into whatever sphere he has placed us, we will be astonished at the transforming results. So in closing, I'm going to finish with this. Kids, you have been called and you have been sent. Teenagers, you have been called and you have been sent. Adults, you have been called and you have been sent. And if you will go in the spheres that God is sending you to and you will proclaim his word, you will be amazed. You will be amazed at the transforming results. Let's pray.